Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside my good friend, Justin Garcia, as he regularly joins me, this time on a Sunday night. I'm not sure I gave him the appropriate warning to come on the podcast tonight, but we are both here for today's episode, brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Justin, we've had a few updates over the weekend in regards to the Bucks. We were just talking about this before we started, but we've got one full week before we can literally look ahead and picture the first Bucks game in a long, long time. A few scrimmages this week, but we're so close. We're so close now. Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, what, four days before the uh, scrimmage, and then, you know, that's before you know it, the games are actually going to be here. And it's, it's going to be... Um, kind of a weird feeling because we've been waiting so long for this to return. And, you know, we pointed to the NBA's return at the end of July and everybody was pretty excited for that. And then MLB finally figured things out and said, Oh, by the way, we're starting a week earlier to take a little bit of the wind out of the sails. Um, I'm going to be curious how long the excitement lingers. If it's just, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder that we're totally invested in these eight games just because it's the return of sports. <laughs> because, uh, as you and I have talked about, these eight games are meaningless for the Bucs. And really, you can make the case it's potentially 12 games that are going to be basically preseason games right out of the shoot for this team. Well, it's interesting because when I think about that, and I, I've, I've spent some time trying to think to myself how I'm going to look at these games, what I'm actually going to be looking for, what I want to see. And clearly the number one thing is good health. <laughs> and, it's, and there's nothing else close to that. But I think about what the regular season would have been over the last eight games anyway. I think back to last year. Sure, there was trying to win 60 games, but ultimately we knew the, the Bucks were probably going to have the number one seed and carry home court through. Of course, you're keeping an eye on the West. So maybe there would have been a battle with the Lakers that would have made things interesting, interesting. But ultimately, these last eight games, regardless, it would have been the same thing. Manage your players, get through healthy, get to the first round. So I think from that perspective, if you take away the strange four months we've had in between, it's kind of similar, I think. Is that, does that sound fair? Yeah, I mean, but that's the biggest thing is now you've taken something away for uh, almost five months and maybe it just makes you even more interested where all the cries of meaningless basketball games and, hey, they don't play all four quarters. Now you don't care because it's back. So the update or the major update, and I spoke about this on Friday's pod when I went solo, but Eric Bledsoe tested positive. Now, I said this and I felt weird to speak about it like this, but I said it kind of wasn't a surprise. I mean, everyone's been keeping their eye on the players that weren't there because we know the Bucks practice facility closed down uh, on between that period, someone tested positive, I think July 3, July 5 uh, was when it closed down around that mark. So we're now, you know, two weeks, around that two-week period 
from when that positive test probably or most likely came through. That's assuming that Eric Bledsoe was A, the only one, and B, the reason that it's uh, shut down. I mean, we, we don't know those facts. We're only trying to uh, dot everything together here. The update from Bud that came after that podcast from me was that he does anticipate, again, based on that timeline and nothing's for certain, that Bledsoe will be available for the opening game on July 31st. Uh, clearly, this is a significant uh, bit of news for Bucks fans because uh, while much maligned, let's, let's face it, I said it on Friday's pod, if the Bucks don't have Eric Bledsoe, winning a title becomes very, very, very difficult. Yeah, and uh, that was big news to hear uh, that, that, that as of right now, at least, that Bud expects him back for that game against the Celtics. I, I mean, you know, and even if he wasn't, as we just said, these eight games are exhibition games for the Bucs. So as long as you have Eric Bledsoe uh, yeah. back at some point during the first round, you don't want him to just have to jump into the fire in a second-round matchup against who knows, maybe the Celtics or 76ers. So as long as you can at least get a few games in there, um, between now and the playoffs, uh, that's what's big. But it, it just, you know, it, this is just everything about this restart is going to be um, so new to all of us. And you can't really know what to expect where, let's say Eric Bledsoe does miss a bulk of games in these final eight games and comes back late or at some point during the regular season. I mean, this isn't a knee injury. This isn't, hey, I'm not 100%, but I'm going to go through it. Um, so that's really one of the concerns about any player that tests positive from this point on out. But also, you know, by all accounts, it sounds as though this isn't really affecting Eric Bledsoe the way that we have seen. And he said himself, he was asymptomatic the way we have seen it strike some other people. And that's really what's the scariest part about this is not only the shutdown and the quarantine that becomes mandatory if you test positive, but you know, this is affecting people in different ways that you can't just bank on. 10 days and we'll get the player back who knows if they're one that's affected by this more than the other and this ultimately wipes them out for the duration of the playoff i asked bud that sort of a similar line that you're going down there this morning on the on the virtual press conference we had i asked him i said given uh, how weird this situation is you have a guy that you think is going to be available but also he has a virus that no one really knows what the effect is going to be so you can't guarantee he's going to be there we don't know what's going to happen down the line over the course of the next three months. As a coach, do you sit there and mentally have more contingencies running through your head? Do you have all these scenarios of what could happen if this goes down, this goes down? How do you counter that? Uh, and he sort of said, well, there's so many variables and there's so many different things that could happen. It's kind of impossible to do that. He says, we always you know, have contingencies for injuries and perhaps different things that can happen through the season. Uh, he doesn't think that it's worthwhile uh, even considering the worst-case scenario, which I, I guess as fans, uh, people certainly do and wonder what the effect of that could be or the impact of that. But for uh, these teams, this is kind of what they're doing. They're flying blind and crossing their fingers and hoping for the absolute best. And for Eric Bledsoe, I went through some of the numbers. I went through some of the numbers the other day. Yeah, the Bucks definitely uh, crossing their fingers that he is back for the start of uh, the season. But if not, as you said, gets a chance to to get some run in before the first round and in particular uh, those deeper rounds in the playoffs. Uh, DJ Wilson did have an update on Bledsoe and uh, DJ was quite serious through his chat, but the biggest smile and laugh that he got through the whole conversation was the fact that he's still been very regularly gaming with Eric Bledsoe and says that uh, he's feeling quite well. So there's a positive sign. Yeah, you know, um, 
not to take this in a, a, a different direction, but, and it's impossible for Bud to know now. Um, but I, I, I just, you know, keep going back to how, I guess bizarre would be the word this postseason could be where if you're Bud, how do you plan for the playoffs going into this season? Do you just stick with, Hey, it's business as usual and we're doing everything as we used to, or because of this near five month layoff, um, is this going to be a playoffs unlike any that we've seen before in the sense that instead of an eight, nine or 10 man rotation, we're seeing every team play all 12 or 13 guys. Yeah, I and he himself has said with these scrimmages this week, uh, with the the regular season games, they're like, well, we don't really know. We're going to try some different things. We're going to try and um, work on some sets that we're going to run in different matchups, different scenarios. Ersano Yusova sort of said the same thing. He was like, well, I, I don't know. I think we just try and run into shape because this is this is such an unknown, and it's so weird to hear these professional athletes talking like that. But they're just not sure. This is just not something anyone has done. I did mention Ersan, which is worth noting because I think I think he was one of the players that we hadn't seen a lot of. So the fact that he yeah. faced the media and then George Hill this morning George also. Hill, yeah. um, so that's great. So that's two guys that we know are practicing, uh, are in the bubble and are with the team. I think we're down to Kyle Culver and Pat Connaughton. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. All right, Justin, we've got plenty more to get through on this episode. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break and... I'm going to let you know about our friends over at rockauto.com. They are a family business serving auto parts customers online. They've been doing so for 20 plus years. Everyone knows they have the same prices for the professionals as they do for do-it-yourselfers. You can find everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, whether it's for your classic or your daily driver. Get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. All you have to do is write locked on in the how did you hear about us box that they know we sent you. That's locked on in the how did you hear about us box and they'll know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I do want to touch on George Hill because one of the things that he said this morning that was interesting, I want to talk about three-point shooting a little bit. Uh, if everyone, uh, or if anyone, I should say, not everyone, I don't expect that everyone listens to every podcast I do, but if you got the chance to listen to the George Carl uh, interview, he said that one of his question marks was the Bucks three-point shooting in the postseason. So uh, if we look at some of the numbers from the Bucks, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Justin, the Bucks this season ranked 16th in the league for three-point percentage at 35.6, so very much middle of the road. The only playoff teams in the east below them are Orlando and Brooklyn so uh, you know potential first round matchup there in 2018-19 the Bucks were 15th in the regular season at 35.3 so very very similar in the playoffs overall that was 33.6 but they shot 37% against Detroit that went down to 34.3 against Boston and that went down to 31 in the Eastern Conference Finals so shooting no doubt for this team I, I think you have to look at it in two ways the fact that the Bucks are middle of the range three-point shooting team during the regular season tells you that defensively they're able to beat the majority of the teams uh, you know, regardless of how they shoot from three. But up against the best, it's going to be a question mark for them. George Hill shooting 48% this year. He's been red hot. 30, uh, over the course of his career, he's a 38% three-point shooter. So this has been a significant jump for him. And he was one of the guys in the postseason that shot well last year, 42%. 
I asked him how he's feeling coming back as a shooter and whether he has concerns that he's going to be able to keep up that pace or what he's thinking after a few practices in. And he said, I'm fine. I never was into making sure I shoot the lights out. I take the shots that are given to me in the flow of the game. And if they go in, they go in. If they don't, they don't. I'm feeling good and my shot is feeling great. Uh, how concerned are you about the three-point shooting of this Bucks team? Uh, I'm not overly concerned. And, you know, I, I, a lot of people have pointed at George Hill, and that was really their question is, well, does this hurt the Bucks because of – this long layoff with George Hill leading the league in three-point shooting. And because that answer he gave is really the biggest reason why I don't have a very high level of concern is, you know, it's not like George Hill was just all of a sudden bursting onto the scene and, and having this huge year and the usage rate going up. He's doing everything within the system, as he said, just waiting for the open looks and taking advantage of that. And it really has – uh, kind of filled that role of Malcolm Brogdon with the looks that you'll get playing next to Giannis. So my concern isn't so much there. Um, if you were to have a concern in three-point shooting, it's that I guess at this point you can't really have a strong hope in this given you know we have a sample size of, what, 65 out of 82 regular season games, but it had to fall on Brook Lopez that he's you know a 29% three-point shooter this year. That's well below the career average and what we have saw from uh, Brooke since he made this transformation. And, you know, if, if Brooke Lopez isn't hitting consistent three point shots, or at least gives you that one or two games in a series where it happens. And if he's a guy that you can't count on knocking down those shots, yes, he still provides a lot of value defensively. Um, but, you know, we're going to see the same thing this year where the objective for every team that the Bucks play is going to be to shut down Giannis and take him out of the offense. So it's going to fall on Chris Middleton, who I think we all have even more confidence in this year. But the guys behind Chris Middleton, the other secondary guys, it's going to be imperative for them. You saw some big performances from Malcolm Brogdon last year. So aside from Chris Middleton, who's the other guy that steps up and is able to knock down shots when you need it? Now, maybe it's an X factor that we didn't see in the postseason last year in Dante DiVincenzo, but that to me, is uh, not really a concern yet, but that's the question that I have going into the playoffs. Yeah, so I look at the additions from last year's playoff roster. So you mentioned they lose uh, Brogdon. Obviously, they lose Miritich as well, who did not shoot the ball well. Uh, the additions they have, obviously, Wesley Matthews, Dante, as you pointed to, and Kyle Korver's the other one. He comes in. He's a guy that can shoot the ball well. And Marvin Williams, I should mention as well. Yeah. If I look at the three-point percentages from last year's postseason, there's really only four players that get a pass mark. Uh, Tony Snell hardly played. He was 50%, but uh, I'm not really counting him. Nor Tim Frazier, who also uh, 50% shared after Tim. But uh, Chris Middleton went at 43%. We know he shot the ball really well, particularly in the first two rounds. George Hill, 42%. Malcolm Brogdon up at 38 And Pat Conner and I give a pass. Anytime he's shooting 36%, I think you take it from three. The guys that really struggled, Giannis was at 32 but yeah, that's, that's about right for him. Brooke Lopez, 29 and then Eric Bledsoe all the way down to 23. So certainly Lopez and Bledsoe in the starting lineup are key. They have to be knocking down those threes, particularly Bledsoe, because it really can close things up in the paint if those two aren't shooting well. It's interesting to note that that 29% from the postseason for Brook has really hung around. It hasn't gone away. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I knew it wasn't the greatest. I didn't realize it was all the way down to 29% because – I think we forget about that because of their success in the first two rounds of the playoffs. The second round, you yeah. just think about what Giannis did and the bench mob. 
against the Celtics. But if you look back at the Eastern Conference Finals, and we talked about this numerous times, um, you know, no one really had a good series. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon may have had the best series of any buck, but we think back to game one, and I think it was game five too, where Brooke Lopez had some huge performances and towards the end of game six. So, um, you know, shooting wise, the numbers don't jump out, but there are those moments we remember from that series against the Raptors where Brooke was very, every, you know, everything we just talked about, about needing somebody else to get you a basket besides Giannis. Brooke showed the ability to do that against the Raptors at time. Yeah, I'm looking at a key player, Marvin Williams, for sure. I think he's a guy to watch. He came in, he only played a, a few games and was maybe just starting to get a little bit settled. Uh, when the season went down, which was unfortunate for him. But only four points uh, per game, 29% from three. He wasn't knocking down those corner threes that we've seen him hit throughout his career. This is a 37% career three-point shooter down at 29%. So Marvin Williams, I think, is a guy that's going to play major minutes in the rotation. If he can help space the floor and get you eight to 10 points per game, then I think that that's going to be a huge boost for this team when you combine that with what he can do defensively. We've spoke about potential smaller lineups with Marvin and, and Giannis at the 4-5. I really like to look at those with Middleton and, and George Hill and Bledsoe. You can you can put whoever you want in there at the guard spots, Dante DiVincenzo. So I think M- Marvin Williams is going to be a key player. And the addition of a, a, an absolute genuine sniper in Kyle Corver to come in and maybe get you a couple couple threes in quick succession, uh, 12 points in sort of five minutes uh, in a five-minute burst can swing a playoff game as well. So I think the personnel is better this year, but uh, we're going to need to see it out on the floor because certainly you can't help but have some anxiety around this based on uh, what we saw last year in the conference finals. Yeah, and uh, you know this is something that I know I've, I've mentioned to you a couple of times, but um, number one, I think there's people that have forgotten that Marvin Williams was on this team because, you know, he was with the Bucks for what, a month before uh, the season was, was put on hiatus. And, you know, I remember a handful and I agree that it felt like what about the last 10 days before the season grinded to a halt is when you could see Marvin Williams um, adapting to this team and really fitting into that role. I remember he was huge in the road win in Toronto. He had a big game. And then that next uh, game when the Bucks just dismantled the Thunder was probably statistically his best game here with the team. Um, but I agree the personnel is, is better now than it was a year ago. And, you know, for a number of reasons, the whole Wesley Matthews thing we've talked about at length before in just how much it allows you to change things that you do. Uh, but I keep going back to Kyle Korver in that Nico Miritich, you know, did not have a good postseason to put it mildly last year. So, um, you know, maybe it's as simple as saying, who do you trust more to hit a shot? Nico Miritich or Kyle Korver? And, you know, I understand the pushback on Korver from some around the league is, well, you can scheme him off the floor defensively, um, but the Bucks aren't ever going to ask Kyle Korver to fill the role of Nico Miritich in terms of the volume that you expected to get from Nico Miritich. And in the case of Kyle Korver, you know you can scheme him off the floor, and that's fine because ideally in the postseason, Kyle Korver's minute total will be what eight to ten minutes, where it's just putting him in there in a certain spot and saying. All we need is you to get open. Giannis will help you do that and then hit the three uh, when he finds you for that shot. And if we just look at their uh, histories and their careers, you have to feel very much more confident in Kyle Korver to fill that role uh, than what we saw from Nico Miritich. 
Yeah, and again, I mean, we saw a little bit of this with Miritich last year, the respect from the from the defense, but it's not at a Kyle Corver level. So the the idea for Corver out there offensively is be on the move at all times, which he's made a career out of, and you're going to draw one, maybe two defenders. And we've seen him actually show some really nice touch, uh, passing the ball. He's always been a guy that could that can make those types of passes, but watching him night in and night out, you get a, a genuine respect for his passing ability as well with guys cutting to the basket because as soon as he gets the ball, you know all eyes are on him. And guys like Dante and guys like George Hill that love to cut to the basket can get themselves some easy baskets. Pat Connaughton, uh, another maybe maybe one of the better cutters on the team. So that's certainly something to watch for there. Before we wrap this up, I've got to ask you about the bubble. Are you Is your confidence rising, given that they've been there for a couple of weeks now and everything, you know, for the most part, seems to be going reasonably well? Yeah, I mean, so I was talking about this with, with our friend Eric Name the other day. Just I wanted to see if I was crazy or how other people felt about this. And I told him, if you ask me today, my confidence level that the NBA will be able to finish this season and we won't really see any issues. Maybe you see a couple of positive tests uh, here and there, but you know, it's not like we're getting a team like what we're seeing in the MLS where all of a sudden you have a team that has five positive tests or we have these superstars that go down. If you ask me, scale of one to 10, what's your confidence level that they can get through this and finish the season? I'm at a 10. And, um, you know, I wanted to see, am I crazy? Eric said he was past the 10. So I don't know if it's just wishful thinking. I mean, seeing things like you and I were talking about before this, uh, following Ben Golliver on Instagram and seeing him (laughs) post his stories with everything that the media is going through and kind of giving you a glimpse at, here's what the bubble is like. For media, here's where the players are, and he's finally released out from quarantine now, so you got to see some more of this campus and see some of the protocols where there's security preventing uh, non-players from getting to the hotel, and you have a better idea now of everything that's put into place for the league because when this plan first came out, I know I was very critical of it, and you know my biggest concerns were, well, what happens if a player goes rogue and What about the whole Disney staff isn't expected to quarantine either? And now what you've seen is, first and foremost, it's not possible for a player to just go rogue. I mean, think of the guys, Bruno Caboclo, that we have seen, and Dwight Howard as well, where, you know, players are holding each other accountable, but also the extra steps that the league has put in has basically made it impossible for anybody to break protocol without anybody knowing. And you know, the more that you're learning and the more you've heard from medical experts about uh, the easiest way to catch this uh, virus is person-to-person contact, not so much from surfaces. And we've seen the steps that the league has taken. There is zero contact between players and anybody other than fellow players, officials, and, you know, team officials like their media relations people, Disney staffers, media, all of them no chance they're getting anywhere near these players. So my confidence is the highest it can be that we're going to get through this. Yeah, it certainly feels at this point that if something goes wrong, someone's made been either irresponsible or they've made a a big mistake. And I know that there was some stuff all over Twitter about uh, potentially a girl being snuck into the bubble. And I saw Chris Haynes sort of tweet something. Someone asked him, I I think he tweeted it or I read this somewhere that Chris Haynes sort of said, listen, I'm here. And I'm telling you, 
it seems like an impossible task to get okay. a girl into the player's hotel. And you pointed to it. You know, even these media people that are there, uh, when I'm on the calls, I- I'm looking at a-, a Zoom call when we've got Bud or Giannis or whoever it may be on the call. But so are the media members that are at Disney. They're doing the same thing. They're not yeah. allowed, uh, you know, these face-to-face interviews. I mean, I'm sure there's there's some face-to-face interviews going on. But even those length, it's it's not the normal media scrum. That's That's for damn sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at this point, who knows when we'll see that again. And um, yeah, I, I loved it. What I think it was Wednesday last week when the Instagram model had tweeted out of <laughs> already been invited to the bubble and you saw this meltdown of great seasons canceled. But uh, yeah, look, I have no doubt that that will continue to happen, that maybe players will think, uh, how can I sneak somebody <laughs> in here? But it's it's just not going to happen based off everything that we've seen. Yeah, time will tell. Four months is a long, long time. I mean, in theory, the longer this goes, the more players will leave. And, uh, you know, by virtue of having fewer people in the bubble, potentially uh, your chances uh, are more uh, increased that you can get this thing done and less chance that the virus will take hold. Of course, then, I mean, listen, we we cross our fingers. We hope the U.S. in general is in a better position by then. Uh, we hope the, the Australia, we hope the rest of the world is in a better position as we're in September, October, that's for sure, because it's been a long-ass year. But we were talking about this before we started. Uh, I, I, I just cannot wait for games to start. We're going to be able to have podcasts talking about games. Uh, I, I cannot believe still that we've done five pods a week since the NBA went down. But I am looking forward to not having to spend a couple of hours each day just literally thinking about what I'm going to talk about. We just watch a game of basketball and talk about the game. That's what we, That's why we started this. That's what we love doing. I mean, look, more power to you. I don't know how you've done it to do basically five a week for the duration here and uh, having to try and really go down niche alleys to pick of who, who's the best baseline cutter on the Bucks. Let's spend 15 <laughs> minutes talking about it. So uh, you're a far better man than I am. Uh, I doubt that, Justin. But hey, hey, I appreciate you always taking my texts uh, at the last second, and uh, and you know, only only occasionally pretending that you're already asleep. But we are just going to leave it there. We're going to leave it there for today. Uh, we will be back tomorrow, of course. There'll be another update from the team, so we're looking forward to that. The countdown is on. The countdown is on. We're only a couple of days away. Appreciate you jumping back on, Justin. Yeah, anytime. All right, everyone. Make sure you stay safe out there. Look after yourselves, and for Justin and myself, we will be back tomorrow.